This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. To, uh, I'm going to go into a series here for the next two weeks, and then Dr. Leon's going to be here the next week, and then I'm going to follow up two more weeks after that. But I'm going to go into a message that, man, has been stirring in me this year in a big way. And, and let, me, let me just give a disclaimer for the get-go. Those of you who have seen the, the title of this in your notes, um, this is called My Life, My Responsibility. Yeah. Guys, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I've resigned myself to the fact that there's going to be some people that are rubbed wrong right from the get-go. But how many of you know that we need that sometimes? Responsibility is a tough word in our society today. Nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. And um, I feel that it's, it's detrimental. I think it's one of the biggest things that we're lacking in the church today is personal responsibility. One of the biggest things we're lacking in the world today. And you know, I looked up the word responsibility, and let me, let me say this too, uh, you just saw on the screen a minute ago, you can follow along on your phone or on your tablet or whatever else, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to uh, events, and you, can, uh, and you can follow along, the notes are all on there, so you can follow there, um, and you can add in your own notes and different things. Uh, you also got the notes in your service guide, and so you can follow along and fill in the, fill in the, um, the blanks on that as well. So uh, anyway, I looked up the word responsibility. And there's a bunch of definitions, but the two that I like the most, the first one, the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. Ooh-wee, that's awesome, huh? Being accountable or to blame for something. How many of you know that we're accountable and to blame for a lot of things? Second definition that I liked, a thing that is required to do as a part of a job, role, or obligation. How many you know because of your role in life, and we play a lot of roles in life, don't we? Because of these various roles in life, we have various responsibilities that come with those roles, right? I mean, obviously, as a, as a son, as a daughter, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as an employee, there's responsibilities that come with those roles, correct? So responsibility. So what is taking personal responsibility? I think that per, take. What is taking personal responsibility? It's acknowledging that we alone, we are solely responsible for our choices, right? We are solely responsible for our choices in life. Now, nobody wants to be responsible, and so what we find today is that either people commit to nothing at all, you know people like that? Maybe you're one of those that doesn't like to commit to anything. Or we blame somebody else for everything that happens, right? So, for instance, our kids, not that I would name any one of our kids, but, uh, you know, one of our kids more recently who, you know, he forgets his homework, <laughs> leaves, it at, leaves, it, leaves it at home, gets to school, comes in, I got a zero because I didn't turn in my homework. Well, we told you to get your homework and put it in your bag. Well, it's just because you made me rush this morning and get ready for school so quick, I didn't have time to think about it. How did that get blamed on me? How did you forget your homework get blamed on? But isn't that what we do? We don't want to, and, and, then, and then as we get older, obviously our responsibilities kind of grow. And as we become spouses and parents and, and employees, how I many you know we're responsible at work as employees? For instance, we were, we were at the zoo the other day. We were sitting there thinking, we, we, we were at the zoo, we, we were in the area, so we had to stop by and see the baby hippo. 
Like, okay, we have a zoo pass, so we can just walk in, you know? And so we have to go see the baby hippo. I think we saw the baby giraffe and the baby orangutan thing, too. Anyway, um, so we're going in. We're on the way out. Been there for about 20 minutes. We're on the way out of the zoo. And y'all know when you first walk in the entrance to the zoo, they have those big columns. They have lights down in the, on the, in the ground, in the pavement that shine up on those columns as you walk in. Well, one of them, I guess... The, the cover had, had, was broken or something had come off, and Shauna stepped on it, twisted her foot, and hurt her foot in this thing. And, I mean, the whole cover came off and broke in, and I, and I picked it up, and there's an employee saying, I said, hey, this thing's broken, and I, she just hurt her foot. Of course, the woman didn't even look at it. She was like, mm, mm, yeah, mm. just, we'll just leave it there. And she just walks off, and I'm like, where's the point where you take responsibility? I know you didn't do it. I know you're not the maintenance person. However, you work there. Where's the point of saying, I'm so sorry. Are, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? I'm going to report this to maintenance right away because this is our responsibility. You know what I'm saying? As we go into different roles, there are responsibilities, things that we are responsible for, right? So part of taking responsibility, part of actually part of growing up is taking responsibility for ourselves, right? So we start off as infants. How many of you have been through the stage where you started potty training your children? You potty train your kids. You're teaching them to go. Finally, you're not having to ask them every 10 minutes if they have to go. They're going on their own. But guess what? You're still wiping their rear end for them, right? You know they're not going to wipe good, and you know that's not going to be good for you. So you wipe their rear for another year or two until hopefully before they're 12, you can trust them to wipe themselves, right? And they take personal responsibility for that, right? Through the various stages of life, hopefully we learn to take responsibility for tying our own shoes, for remembering our own homework, for cleaning our own room, right? Responsibility grows. And that's in many ways, that's a difference between an adult and a child, is a willingness to take personal responsibility for our actions. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. And I think the key to that is personal responsibility. So how do we take personal responsibility? I think a couple of the most important things, number one, is eliminate blame. We love to blame everybody for the issues of life. And I think secondly is eliminate excuses. Man, we can come up with excuses out of nowhere for everything, right? But, but I didn't mean, that's not what I meant, I, right? Excuses. Excuses. If we're constantly blaming others, making excuses, then basically we're just shifting our responsibility to others. And here's the thing when it comes to the Christian walk, because really personal responsibility is the bedrock of our faith and of our growth in God. It's the, it's the, it's the foundation for our relationships. How many of you know that's true? Personal responsibility is the foundation of our relationships and even seeing God's promises fulfilled in our life. And really, if you look at it, this has been the case ever since the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given certain expectations and he was expected to fulfill these, Right? We see that as you go on, we see that um, later Cain was warned by God that he would be held personally responsible for his actions. You go on, you see Achan at Jericho. He was held responsible and accountable for his sin, right? The Levites were held responsible for taking care of what? The temple, the tabernacle, right? You had In the early church, you had the deacons who were responsible for taking care of some of the practical needs of the church. And we see that Paul was given responsibility for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Personal responsibility is a huge part of our walk of faith. And the Bible expects us to take personal responsibility in every area of our life. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the Bible tells us 
that every able-bodied person is supposed to work for their food. That's a personal responsibility, right? Doesn't it say there? If you don't work, you don't what? You don't eat. That's personal responsibility. And actually, in 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Whoa. That's huge. That's all about personal responsibility, isn't it? And we know that at times, we try, obviously, to avoid personal responsibility, and usually that's done through blame shifting. So what does Adam do? What's his response to God? Well, that woman you gave me. Wasn't that his words? God, that woman you gave me. We see that Cain tries to dodge his responsibility. Cain, where, where, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Right? We see that Pilate, what does Pilate do? He doesn't want to be responsible for Jesus. He washes his hands, right? He says, I'm not responsible. You're responsible for this. Ultimately, our attempts to pass the blame and make excuses end up, they're, they're futile in the end. We're responsible for ourselves. You know, Numbers 32 tells us, be sure that your sins will what? Find you out. What are my responsibilities in my walk for God, my walk with God? You know, I, I thought there's really a couple of things. Repent and believe the good news, it tells us in Mark, right? That's receiving Jesus. That's surrendering our life to him. And really the second big thing is glorify the Lord through the good works in our life. This is really about loving God and loving people, isn't it? That's our goals in life. This is what we are personally responsible for. Sounds easy in two sentences, but really it sums up our entire life. We're personally responsible for every facet and every area of our life. We cannot evade personal responsibility to exercise our faith in Christ. So what I'm going to do, uh, you can follow along in your notes, like I said, but I'm going to give you four thoughts I had as I was, as I was seeking the Lord in this, four, four thoughts about personal responsibility. Um, and, and this is in regards to our spiritual responsibility. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go next week and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about our responsibility when it comes to seeing the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. And I'm going to spend another week talking about um, our responsibility when it comes to um, our public life and our responsibility to others and different things like that. But I want to give you four thoughts today regarding our spiritual responsibility. The first thought is this. God has done all that he's going to do. Number one, God has done all that he's going to do. And guys, this is the message. This is the message of the finished work of the cross. We say we believe in the finished work of the cross, but we continue begging God for things that he says is already ours. And really, you've, you've heard my dad talk about this at great length. He said things like, we're not working toward a victory, we're coming from a victory. Where was the victory won? The victory was won at the cross. My dad has said, the truly successful Christian is not seeking victory, but enforcing a victory that was already purchased. But how many of you know that sometimes we are victors with a victim mentality? We've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember that the battle was already won. In John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, it says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Say, his mission was now finished. This isn't talking about his mission there for just a few years. This is talking about his mission, Jesus' mission. 
This is what he came, this is what he lived for. This is it. It was all finished in this moment as he hung there on the cross. He realized, he knew that his mission was finished. It was done. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked it in a sponge, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, what? It is finished. The mission is complete. I did what I was called to do. It's over. It's done. And he bowed his head and released his spirit. Jesus' mission was complete at the cross. It was all done. What was his mission? His mission was to restore us back to the Father, wasn't it? His mission was to come and pay the price for our sin and our failings, to take them to the grave, pay the price for them so that we could be restored back, so we could be grafted back into the family of God, so that we could come boldly before the throne of grace, so that we could be free, right? It was done. What else did Jesus do? He also came to bring us back into the promises of God, that we would be heirs to the inheritance of the kingdom, right? That the Bible talks about that healing would be ours, that security would be ours, that we'd be able to walk in joy and peace, all these different things that came with his mission being complete. So it is finished. God did all that he was going to do, and really this was the good news. And so in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, God has put all things under, his, under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Who is the church? Say me. me. And the church is his body. It is, being, it is made full and complete. What is made full and complete? The body, which is also the church. Who is me? We are made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Everything that God would ever do for us was done at the cross. Here's the kicker. Everything after that is our responsibility. Everything after that's our responsibility. Even though we love to put the responsibility back on God, it's all ours. I was thinking about this. I know um, my dad and Jerry and, and Aaron were watching one of the NBA final games at our house the other night, and I just kind of got to thinking about that. I was thinking about a basketball game, and I, I thought, you know, how many times we find ourselves in life, we find ourselves in this game against the enemy and all the forces of darkness, and we're going it all alone because of our own failings and our own sin, and God comes in, and he intervenes. He ties up the odds in a moment. And we're sitting pouting under the goal on the other end of the court going, I can't do it. I'm a loser. And he throws us the ball and says, it's your shot. Take it and you win. And how often do we sit there and go, oh, God, I can't make this shot. Why, why don't you just come do it? You already did all this. Come do the rest. And that's what we're doing in life when we refuse to take responsibility. God's saying, I've done everything for you. It's your move. What are you going to do now? Do we sit back and do we whine and complain about it and wonder why God's not doing more? Or do we step up and say, God, I'll be who you've called me to be. I trust you at this point. You proved yourself to me. Does that make sense? Everything God would do for us, he did at the cross. And everything after that becomes our personal responsibility. The ball is on our end of the court. And we've got to choose what we do from this point onward. Which brings us to my second point. We're not waiting on God God is waiting on us. 
Number two, God, we're not waiting on God. He is waiting on us. And I've told y'all before, you know, we, we talk about that, about waiting on God, and there's actually talks about that in Scripture. But one of my pet peeves is, I, I've, I've told y'all before, about years ago, I graduated from Bible school. A couple years later, took a group of teenagers back to a youth camp at, at the school there in Dallas, and I ran into an old classmate, and he was still living in alumni, council, alumni housing. He felt called to ministry, but two years later, he still wasn't doing anything, still wasn't serving in a church. He was just working a nine-to-five job trying to make ends meet, even though he believed that God had called him into ministry. And I asked him, well, what are you doing? Are you even serving in a church? Well, no, not right now. I don't know where to go. I'm just waiting on God. Quit making excuses. Get up and do something for God. Get up and figure out what he has for you in your life. Don't sit still. Find out what your giftings and your talents are. Allow him to use you. It's kind of like if you have the desire, you're single, and you have the desire in your life to be married. If you have the desire to be married, God put that desire there. So if you sit at home all day long praying that God will send you a spouse, he's not going to come waltzing them into your living room, right? There's a point where we've got to step out and allow God to use us. He's got to allow us to meet people, to bring people across our path, right? There's always an action when it comes to trusting God for something. Peter asks Jesus to invite him to walk on the water, right? He's sitting in the boat. Lord, ask me to come on the water. Jesus said what? He said, come. How many of you know that Jesus enabled Peter in that moment with that word to walk on the water? That was it. He had the enablement. Jesus did it all right there. Bam. Peter could walk on water the moment Jesus said, come. Peter had to get up off his rear end. And if he had sat there scared, I don't know. Jesus, will you just come pick me up? Will you come lift me out the boat and carry me out on the water? Right? He had to get up and he actually had to put action to his faith and trust what Jesus said in order to see the miracle. God is waiting on us to say yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offered us. God is waiting on us to trust him so that he can bring us peace. He's waiting on us to love others over ourselves. He's waiting for us to willingly uh, and selflessly obey him so that we can be channels of his love and his power. Psalm 34.10 says, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. We love to think that because I follow the Lord, I will not seek any good thing. But it says here first, to those who seek him. Are we seeking him with our life? Psalm 31 verse 19 says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. The good things of God are stored up for us, y'all. They've been stored up since the cross. All the promises of God, all the things that we're believing for in our life, God has stored them up. But how many of you know the kicker comes when we have to position ourselves in a place to receive? That's the kicker to it all. Sometimes we're not ready to receive. Sometimes God is pouring out over here at this point in our life, and we're over here trying to make it happen. Does that make any sense? Because we haven't positioned ourselves in a place to allow God to pour out into our life. Sometimes there's something, a big flaw that God's been putting his finger on in our hearts and going, you have to deal with this. You have to deal with this unforgiveness in your heart. And because of that, we're not positioning ourselves to receive what God is trying to pour out unto us. And there comes a point where we have to obey him. We have to allow him, we have to trust him and allow him to do the work in us so that we can position ourselves to receive all that he has for us. Does that make sense? When we seek the Lord, he speaks the words to us that we need to hear. He'll tell us how to change 
certain things in our situation. He'll give us greater wisdom. He'll teach us to trust him and to walk in obedience. And we'll move into that position to receive what he stored up for us. So, you know, we sing even songs to talk about waiting upon the Lord. And let me give you a little different perspective of. I don't think of that as sitting on my rear end for months and week, weeks and months and years for God. I think of it as slowing down and not doing things in my own strength and going, whoa, whoa, hold up, my busyness. Hold on with my self-interest and my selfishness. Hold up. And stepping back and going, am I in a position to receive what the Lord has for me? I believe it's more us stopping and us waiting. Us stilling ourselves inside and allowing God to speak to us and to lead us and to guide us. Does that make sense? God's poured it all out. He's got different places in our life that he wants to pour out different things into us. Are we in the position to receive those things? It might be that we need to stop and wait to consider what we've done, to consider our, our actions and our reactions and to align ourselves and our will with his will. Amen? When I was saying all this, I, I was talking to Sean about some of this yesterday or the day before, and she, she made the, a couple of comments that made me think because, you know, I say that, stop waiting upon the Lord to do something. You know, when I say he's waiting on us, it's, it's tough when people ask questions like, well, I've been believing God for healing for years. Why am I not healed? Or I've been believing, you know, for years to know what God's direction for my life is and what I'm supposed to do. Or why am I not blessed financially? Or why do I, have I not yet met my mate? Or, or these different questions. How can you say that the Lord's waiting on me? Let me say this. Because only the Lord knows it all. Only the Lord sees the big picture. Amen? However, if you're believing for healing in your life, continue to seek healing and believe what God's word says. Let me tell you too. Do what you know you're supposed to do. So many times we're relying on God to do something and we're praying and we're begging and we're begging, but we're not doing what we're supposed to. Talk about healing even with our own physical bodies. We're, I mean, I, there's a point where, you know, we have to stop in our prayer for healing to take a bite of that Krispy Kreme and that soda and we're praying again that God will bring healing to our bodies. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying there's that. I love a Krispy Kreme sometimes, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there comes a point sometimes where we've got to know what, what we've got to do. The Bible tells us to be good stewards of our body, that our body's a temple. So where's the point where we actually begin to treat our body like that? Because we're expecting God to do his part, but we don't want to do our part. So begin to do what you know to do within yourself. Begin to do what God's word says. Begin to take care of yourself. Eat well. Exercise. Go get a physical. And then continue to stand on God's word and watch him come through in your life. But don't give up. What about somebody who says, well, I don't know God's plan for my life. Again, seek God. He's not going to withhold it from you. Get into his word. Begin to serve. Begin to go out and find out what your giftings and your talents are. And, and you may start serving somewhere and find out, well, this isn't really for me. I don't think this is what God called me to. I'm going to try something else. But that's okay because at least you're making progress. And you're, and you're, and you're working in that. And God's going to honor that. And as you seek him and as you dig into his word and you talk to him and as you begin to serve him and you begin to bless others, you're going to know what your calling in life is. Why am I not blessed financially? Do what you know to do. God says be a good steward, Right? So maybe we need to make a budget. I don't know. Maybe we need to take care of what God's already put into our hands. Maybe 
We need to go get a little more education. Maybe we need to increase our talents a little bit and our, and our skill level a little bit so that maybe we will be eligible for that promotion that we keep hoping for that we're not really qualified for. You know what I'm saying? There's a place where we begin to, we grow into this and we do what we know to do and we seek God at the same time. We do things with excellence. And we talked about that. Believing for a mate. See God. Well, again, get out there. Meet people. Be a blessing. Serve. You'll, you'll meet them. Amen? Everything in God's kingdom is about action. Take action. Do something. Take personal responsibility for where you're at in your spiritual walk. Amen? The third point. Our growth is our pursuit, not God's. How often do we try to make, oh, I'm just not growing, you know. You know, oh, <laughs> I want to get myself in trouble. But you know one of the number one reasons I hear people leave a church? And I, I'm not trying to offend you if you've said this before. People say, I just, I've heard that series before the pastor was preached on Sunday morning. I just wasn't getting fed. I already know that. And so I went somewhere else. It's not the pastor's job to grow us up. It's our job to grow in God. It's our job to go home and get to know God and who he is and to seek his face and to worship him and to know what the Bible says. It's not, it's not Pastor Bob's job to grow us. Forgive me, folks, but what a cop-out. All we're doing is shifting the blame for our lack of growth. It's just, it's just really, it's just lack of responsibility. We don't want to take responsibility for ourselves, and so we put it on somebody else, right? Our growth is our pursuit, not God's. We talk about, those of you who have been through class 201, we talk about spiritual maturity. is about being like Jesus. Colossians 4.12, he said that you may become mature Christians that may fulfill God's will for you. In Romans 8.29, he said, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should be like his son. Our goal is to be like who? Jesus. God's not going to make us like Jesus. We begin acting like Jesus. We get into his word. We find out what Jesus will like. We begin walking in his footsteps every day. Amen? The goal is to be like him. We pursue being like him. It's kind of like, for instance, you want to get in shape, so you go hire a physical trainer. Physical trainer is not going to get you in shape. He can point the right direction. He can show you where you need to be, and he can show you how to get there and lay out all the steps. But we have to do the work, Right? And that's what God does. He lays everything out there and says, here's your plan for success. Here's how you can walk in the pr my promises in your life. Here's how you can walk in health and joy and peace and, and all these different things. Walk it out. And so we sit there, instead of walking it out, we sit there and we continue begging God for, God, you promised me. You promised me health and healing in my life. You promised me joy. You promised me peace. But we're not walking out what God's word says. I'm getting into next week. Oh, bad. That's bad. That's bad. God has done everything that he's going to do, and he has equipped us with everything we need in order to be successful. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If God created us, prepared us to do good works, isn't he going to equip us to do it? Hebrews 13, 21 says, May he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All the glory to him forever and ever. Amen. If we're going to grow and accomplish his will in our life, we have got to pursue him and that goal. 
How do we grow more spiritually mature? By making those two goals, loving God, loving people, the primary goals of our life. We talk about in class 201, the habits of a disciple, Bible study and prayer, fellowship with other believers, growing spiritually by living a spirit-led life and giving of ourselves. Growing in God isn't something that's automatic. It's something that we work for and we fight for in our life. Amen? Our pursuit of God is our responsibility. It's not his. And my last point, point number four. And this is the kicker. If we love him, we're going to pursue him. If we love him, we're going to pursue him. We won't be able to sit still. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, let me read this real quick. It says, but whatever gain I had, who wrote this, by the way, in Philippians? He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. How of you know that Paul, Paul went hard after Jesus? Matter of fact, it says that he decided to forsake all the things that the world would boast about just in order that he could know Christ Jesus, his Lord. You talk about a love for Christ. There's part of our example right there. He goes on to say, I love this, a couple verses down in, chapter, in verse 12 in the Message Bible, he says, I'm not saying that I have this all together. Everybody say, thank goodness. I'm not saying I have this all together, that I have it made, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. So that kind of brings me to where I'm at. This is what the Lord, like I say, this word has been just pressing on me for a while. And this is kind of what I feel like the Lord is saying to me. You know, probably most of us in this room would call ourselves Christians. We would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Let me ask you, who are you living for? If we love him, we're going to pursue him. Who or what consumes our thoughts and actions? If we really love him and our lives are truly surrendered to him, then we're going to be pursuing him with our life. You know, it's tough. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Gosh, that's a tough one, guys. That makes me cringe sometimes. And I know that we're all, we're all in process, right? Y'all heard me talk about that before. We're all in process. But if we're in process with God, my next question is that I ask myself, am I making progress? Am I moving forward? Do I see that I'm seeking God and I'm, I'm moving closer and closer to him? Am I looking more like Jesus just a little bit every day? If not, I need to reevaluate. I need to look at things again. I was thinking about, you know, a relationship. You think back, some of you, back when you were dating and whatever else. Guys, we'd do just about anything for that girl, right? You would lose sleep. You'd go nights without sleep. You would miss work, take days off work without pay. You would talk on the phone all night long. You would spend money you didn't have, right? That's pursuit. How many of us have that same pursuit after God? 
convicting to me. If we're his followers, we're going to pursue him. I know you would say, well, I'm not saved by works, brother. No, you're not. I know that. We're saved by grace. Amen? Thank goodness. We're saved by grace. But let me say this. When we get to a place where we can continue to walk outside of God's will in our life, and we can walk continually in sin and not be willing to confront it and deal with it, and we can claim to be saved by grace, how many of you know that we're cheating God's grace? There comes a place where we have to put forth an effort. We can't sit still. God expects more. He loves us too much to leave us sitting in the same place where he found us. We're not saved by works, but Jesus did say, you're going to know my followers because good works are going to be following them. You're going to see good things coming out of their life. You know, it's the Bible in the Bible, we see that God's word is referred to as a mirror, right? And that mirror reflects a couple different things. Firstly, the cool thing about that mirror is it reflects who we truly are. Because how many of you know that sometimes we get a distorted view of who we are, but the Bible tells a totally different picture of who we are when we're saved, when we surrender our life to Jesus, right? So we look into the mirror of God's word and it shows us who we truly are. But at the same time, in those moments, and we get a little haughty and arrogant and think we've begun to arrive, it also shows those little blemishes and those things that we've got to deal with and we've got to take care of in our life, right? We look in, how many of you have ever looked into God's word or you've heard a word and man, it just kind of cuts you. You're like, oh man, Lord Jesus, help me. I know I've got to deal with this area in my life. And that's part of it. We can, we got to be able to look in the mirror of his word and we've got to begin to make adjustments in, in, in our life. If we can look into his word, if we can hear messages about living a righteous life, and we can go on living our normal day-to-day life, not giving God another thought until next Sunday. Guys, we find ourselves in a scary place. Who are we truly living for? Are we serving God out of word only? If we truly surrendered our life to him, it's going to be evident to those around us. How many of you would say that's pretty convicting? It sure, sure, it sure is to me. You know, as I conclude, I, a number of years ago, the Lord really uh, hit me. He showed me something. He showed me how we as the church many times, we only run to him when we have a need, right? We've all been there before, right? We kind of fell away from the Lord a little bit. We love him, but we found that every time we prayed, it was just because we needed something. Oh, Lord, would you please come through for me? God, help me, help me, you know, do that. Help me get along with my spouse. God, help me get that raise. Lord, help me to whatever. Help me to pass this test. And then we go off and we do our own thing. What kind of relationship is that? You know what the Lord showed me? It's when we're treating them like a prostitute. We run to them only when we have a need. We don't want any commitment. We don't want to have to give anything. We just want to run to them when we have a need. We want our need fulfilled, and we want to run back and do our own thing. That's no kind of relationship. Relationships are always two-sided, amen? We always give, we sacrifice, we pursue. That's part of relationship. We've all had friendships before that were one-sided. You ever had that friend before that you held the friendship together? You were the only one who ever called. You're the only one who ever said, hey, you want to get together and do something? The only person, other person only ever called if they needed something? That's not a relationship, is it? 
question is, when do we stop making excuses for where we are in life? And we begin to take personal responsibility. We stop looking at the past. Look, I know there's times, all of us, we've had terrible things happen in life sometimes. We've had people that have done us wrong. But how many of you know that more often than not, when we get in a bad situation in life, many times it's because we didn't make some good decisions along the way. How many of you can admit that? I know bad things happen, but many times we don't respond to those situations well either. True? But here's the thing. We can't live in the past. All God has given us is today. So here's the question. Who are we going to live for? Are we going to live for him? Are we going to take personal responsibility for our walk with God? Are we going to say, when we say, Jesus, I surrender, I give my life to you, are we abdicating or putting away our own responsibility, putting it all on God? No. We're jumping on board and saying, God, I'm going to do my part. Every day that I live, I'm going to live as a surrender to you. Every day I live, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to give to you every day. I'm going to let you mess up my plan so that you can do what you want to do. I'm going to give of who I am to others in need that you bring into my path. I'm going to believe that you place me in a certain place in the world with certain people around me because you want me to be an influence and a light. What we're doing when we say, God, I surrender my life to you, is we're taking personal responsibility for our spiritual walk. Who's ready to do it today? To say, I take responsibility for where I am before God. I'm done making excuses. I'm done blaming for others. But we... I was talking to, I think it was David I was talking to the other day. We hear words like this sometimes. We go, I know, I know I need to change this area. I know, I know. But where's the point that we do it? And we say, you know what? I'm done living my life for myself. I'm going to actually do what God's word says. And I'm going to live a life where I see good works follow me. And I'm going to see God's promises poured out in my life. And people are going to have to come to me. They're going to be compelled to come to me and say, what is it you have? that makes you different. The only way we're going to do that is by jumping in and taking personal responsibility and by putting him first. Amen? And let me end by saying this. God is a God of fresh starts. He never leaves us high and dry. And it doesn't matter if your spiritual walk with him has been a half effort your entire life. Today's a new day. He can make all things new. All you've got is today. So how, what is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? What changes is he leading you to make? Maybe you make, made some terrible decisions in your past, and maybe you're still walking out the consequences of them. That's, that's part of life. That's sowing and reaping, amen? But what is the decisions you're going to make today when it comes to your walk with the Lord? God's Word promises he'll make all things new. We've got to take responsibility for our past we got to use what God has given us. Today is the day that he can restore us. Let's all bow our heads together. Every head bowed, nobody looking around. Just begin to think about this within yourself. Where's the point that I quit making excuses for where I'm at in my life and I begin to take responsibility for what God's word says? Where's the point where I don't just know God's word but I actually walk it out and I live God's word in my life? Guys, God, Jesus promised that greater works than he did that we would do in our lives. I'm ready to see the greater works. And we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. We've got to position ourselves in a place where we're ready to receive, we're ready to be used by him, to be conduits of his power and his love and his grace. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? 
means that our lives are surrendered to him. It means that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him every day of our lives. It means that the motto of our life is, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's a tough one. We live in such a selfish, materialistic society, and sometimes that spills over in our own lives. But I would ask you, is that the motto of your life? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. ready to really commit to the Lord today so with every head bowed guys I don't know if you remember but two weeks ago in Egypt a bus was stopped a bus full of Christians and 28 Christians were marched off this bus men women and children and they asked each one are you a Christian and they said yes and they gave them all the opportunity to convert to Islam and they all declined And they systematically, one by one, walked by and shot each of them in the head and the throat. I think sometimes we don't even know what commitment is. You know, in all reality, we'll probably never face a situation like that. But I pray that we would know commitment like that. That no matter what we face in this life, that he would be first. That nothing could sway us to the left or the right. That we would be die hard after God like Paul was. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you seeking spiritual maturity? Are you pursuing Him? You know. Every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what? I need to make a fresh commitment to the Lord today. I just want you to lift your hand. Who would say that? Yes, who else? Man, all over the room. Who would say, I'm ready to make a fresh, I'm ready to make that die-hard commitment to God. I'm ready to take personal responsibility for my walk before Him. I'm done making excuses. I'm done blaming others. God, I'm going to serve you to the end. Who needs to say that fresh in you to the Lord this morning? Man, probably 12, 13. Gosh. We're going to pray this prayer together. And it do, listen, it doesn't matter. This isn't about a prayer. This is about the position of your heart. Position your heart in a place of surrender before God. This is what it's about. It's not about the words that we speak. It's not about whether they're eloquent or not. It's not about whether they're the right ones. It's about whether my heart is surrendered to Jesus. Saying, Lord, I give you my life from this day forward, and I will do my best to serve you to the end. My life is no longer my own, but it's yours. The Bible says, if you say that and you believe it, if you confess Jesus as Lord, not once, but you confess him as Lord with your life, you believe that God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. We're going to pray this together. Everybody say, dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus. On my own, I am a failure, but I know that with you, I'm everything. I thank you, Jesus, for giving your life, for looking upon me and my sin and my guilt and shame and choosing to give your life for me, calling me your very own, bridging the gap between me and the Father. Today, I receive your sacrifice, and I claim you as Lord of my life. 
I surrender. I give up. I won't live for myself anymore, but I live for you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will serve you to the end in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you, Lord, that we choose to take personal responsibility for our walk before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we won't blame you for where we're at, but we'll live for today. We'll recognize the fact that you've equipped us and empowered us to be everything that you've called us to be. We choose to stand up and to walk it out in Jesus' name. No excuses. No blame. We're going to be everything that you've called us to be. Lord, you're our inspiration. You're our example. We choose to be like Jesus. We choose to love like Jesus. We choose to forgive like Jesus. We choose to give like Jesus. We choose to serve to, we choose to work like Jesus. God, we want to be that shining beacon of hope in the world. We give you honor and we give you praise in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.